We are in week three of a mini-series, week three and final week of a mini-series looking at our core values here at Center Church. So uh, next week, we will begin a deep dive and a slow walk through the Old Testament book of Jonah. So uh, I'm excited for it. I think it'll have a lot of really good stuff for us in it, and, and I just, that, I mean, our normal rhythm here at Center Church is to preach through books of the Bible, and I'm, I'm ready to get back into uh, a book of the Bible, and so, so I'll encourage you guys uh, this upcoming week, uh, read the book of Jonah. It probably will take you 10 minutes, and so it, it is not a long book, uh, but I would encourage you to read it, and read it multiple times if you can, just to prep for what we're going to be doing here over the next, I think, 13 weeks is how long we're going to be in it. So, but for today, we're going to finish up our core values series. So week one of this, we talked about the gospel, the gospel meaning the good news of Jesus. And, and so we talked about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection being the best news in this world. When people believe the gospel, when they believe this news about who Jesus is and what he has done, what occurs within us is we are given a new identity. We join the people of God. We join God's family. We become his church. And so we talked about last week then, as people believe the gospel, what happens is a community is created. So the gospel creates community. Another thing that the gospel does when it's believed is it compels mission. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. The gospel is the key to everything that we are and that we do. But as we believe the gospel, it will inform and empower these core values of community and mission. These are natural outflows of believing the gospel. The gospel creates community, and it compels mission. Okay, so mission. Some of you might hear that word and be like, what exactly are you talking about when you say mission? So basically, just to give it a definition, what I'm talking about when I say mission is helping people to encounter Jesus and come to saving faith in him. Okay? And this is different than just believing that Jesus exists. Okay, so th this is beyond just believing that Jesus came to earth, walked here, and did some stuff. Okay, it's giving ourselves completely over to him, and then helping others engage with him in that way as well. So if you grew up in the church, maybe you've heard the word evangelism, and, and it's the same idea is what we're talking about here. Others of you maybe have heard the word discipleship, and discipleship is another word that we could use for this, but... Typically, discipleship, it, it's a much longer idea of discipleship because oftentimes people think of discipleship, making disciples. Uh, that happens just kind of after someone becomes a Christian, but I think a good view of discipleship encompasses bringing someone to Jesus and helping them cross over that line of belief as well. Okay, so as we talk about mission this morning— I am assuming mission is for everyone who is a follower of Jesus, okay? I am assuming that this applies 
for every or to every Christian. Now, some of you might push back on this reality. I, I don't like it. It makes me nervous. It's awkward. Or I feel insecure talking to people about Jesus. But the Bible is really clear that all Christians are called to join Jesus on his mission. The whole of the story of the Bible is about a God who goes on a rescue mission to humanity. He comes to us to save us. And then he clearly calls those who he has saved to join him on this mission. And that mission continues for us today. So if, if any of you feel kind of this pushback, like, ah, I just want to pass that buck to somebody else. Like, that's for the paid professionals or someone who maybe has the spiritual gift of that, and, and you don't, you don't want to deal with that. I, I want to go to the Bible. So I want to just go to the Bible right here to try and convince you this is what the Bible teaches. So this is how we have to then line our lives up with it. So Matthew twenty nineteen, it says there, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So Jesus is talking to his followers, and he's saying, from here, you're going to go, and I want you to make followers of Jesus as you go. Th this is what you're going to do with your life. You're going to help people encounter me and place their trust in me. 1 Peter 3.15 says, They're always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So at any point, at any time that we're ready to tell others, this is who Jesus is. This is why I've given my life to him, why, I, why I've entrusted myself to him, why he's worth it, why he is trustworthy. So always being ready to give a reason for the hope that is in us. John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So this is Jesus again talking to his followers. He's saying, I was sent by my Father. Now that you have come to me and you've placed your trust in me, I am similarly going to send you as well. So we're just like Jesus in this, right? He, he's saying, my Father sent me, and now I am sending you as well. Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses. We will witness to who Jesus is and what he has done. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, but you are a chosen people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So both this Acts verse and 1 Peter, they're harping on this idea that, uh, that it's verbal, right? Like, you will go and be my witness. You're going to witness to something. You're going to tell people about Jesus. And 1 Peter is talking about proclaiming. You're going to proclaim this good news of who Jesus is and what he has done. And then a, a little different angle at this. Ephesians 4, the chapter of Ephesians 4, it talks there about how God gave church leaders to the church for the express purpose to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Included in the work of the ministry is going from here. We are sent from here every week to go to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to our friends, to our enemies, and bring them the good news of Jesus. So, so overseers, pastors, leaders in the church are given for the building up, for the equipping of people. But all of us then are called to go. We are a sent people to bring the good news of Jesus to others. 
So my hope is, in, in just in these verses that you can see, that there's really no wiggle room here. Th- there's no way around, like, this is for someone else, but not for me. This is for us. As a community, wherever we're at in this process, this call is for anyone who is a follower of Jesus. Now, these verses are written to specific people at a specific time, but they are also applicable to us. We can't say, well, Jesus was just talking to these people, or Paul was writing to these people, and that doesn't apply to us. No, these apply to us, to those of us who are Christians. So, mission is assumed for Christians. It is an expectation for Christians. The reality is, we would not be Christians if Jesus did not go on mission to us, or if others did not come to us, other humans did not come to us and convey the gospel to us. And it's not as though, once we join Jesus' church, that then we're just going to be able to opt out of this central aspect of what it means to be a Christian. That, that It's really just nonsensical. It doesn't make any sense at all that, that someone would go on mission to us, we would believe, and then it would just stop right there, right? So though this reality is rampant in our modern context, this idea that, that once we become a Christian, that we don't need to do whatever it was that someone did for us, we don't need to pursue others in the same way someone has pursued us, though that's rampant in our day and age, our unwillingness to join Jesus on his mission should cause us, should poke us with questions regarding How is it that we are following Jesus? What does it really mean to place our trust in Jesus? How deep has this really gone into my heart? So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to go to the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians and we're going to look at one verse there. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn to 1 Thessalonians 2 or you've got a device you want to swipe there. You can also follow along on the screen behind me. But we're going to read that verse, but before we do that, we're going to hear about Paul, who is the author, his endeavor to bring the gospel to the church in Thessalonica. So I want to look at just this one verse, but I want to give a little bit of context for us before we look at that. So Paul is writing this letter, and he's writing it with a couple of his friends, Timothy and Silvanus. Uh, are their names. And he begins this letter to the church in Thessalonica by thanking God for how the gospel has powerfully impacted this region um, of their their country. And and he affirmed those in the church in Thessalonica, and he says, he, he affirms them for how you turned from idols to serve the living and true God. So, He's affirming them. He said, this is who you were. You were worshiping idols, but you, saw, you heard the good news of Jesus, and you turned from those idols, and you placed your trust in Jesus. And then he goes on to speak about the ministry that he, Paul, him, and his partners undertook in the city of Thessalonica. So Paul reminds his readers of the one purpose that they came to this city. The one reason that they came to this city was to proclaim the gospel. That's why they came there. And in proclaiming the gospel, they were not greedy, okay? So they were not proclaiming the gospel so that they could make a financial gain off this. While they were there, they worked hard to support themselves. 
in proclaiming the gospel, they were not seeking their own glory. They were seeking to humbly serve those that they were bringing this message to. They endured suffering as they went to Thessalonica. And they were gentle, seeking to care for these people like their own children. So what we need to understand here, Paul is going to Thessalonica to proclaim the gospel. And the hope in proclaiming the gospel is that he will be able to plant a church there. Okay, so if you don't know what that means to plant a church, basically what's going on is he's going there with no people, with no money, with no building, with nothing, right? And he is going to tell people about Jesus in hopes that people will believe in Jesus and then a church will be formed there. A church will be planted there. And so he is trying to undertake this process. And so this brings us then to the one verse that I want to look at this morning. 1 Thessalonians 2.8. Paul writes there, So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. So the first thing that stands out, I think, is Paul's description of how he felt about these people. Affectionately desirous. He was affectionately desirous of them. That, that's really strong language, if you think about it. I mean, do any of you talk this way to your significant other? Like, you come home from work and you're like, baby, I am, I am affectionately desirous of you, right? Like, think about yourself doing this, right? Is this how you talk to loved ones in your life? You should try it. Try it this week and then let me know how it goes. I'd love to hear the story. But Paul is expressing his affection and his desire for these people. Now, in the verse prior, Paul spoke of how he came in gentleness. So Paul loves these people, right? Th this is very clear. He cares deeply about them. He wanted them to get this sense from the first time that he met them, as he, it says that he came gently to them, right? So he, he's not coming in riding on a horse saying, all right, I'm going to fix everything in your lives and, and like whacking them on the, on the head with a Bible, if there was a Bible at that time, right? O Old Testament, right? But he's not doing that. He, he's coming to them gently. He's going to go to the Jewish synagogue and he's going to teach about the gospel there. He's going to go to other places and he's going to share about Jesus with these people. He's going to labor hard. Now, this may not seem really remarkable, what Paul is doing. But we have to remember this. Paul didn't know these people. Right? He is going to a city, to a people that don't love him, that don't know him. They're not offering him anything, except for sure he knows he's going to walk into suffering. He knows he's going to be ridiculed. But he's going to a people that he does not know and he speaks about them in really strong terms okay so there, there's no one there who's a christian that his affection and his desire for them was not predicated on what he got from them it was based on something else and i would say it was based on his experience 
what he had experienced in his own life. Now, some of you might know Paul's story. He was a Jew's Jew. Like, if there was a rule, this dude was going to follow it. Like, he not only followed, but he was going to have them all memorized, right? So he's got the catalog in his mind. So every situation he's going into, he's like going through the catalog of rules and laws and just making sure he's going to follow every single one of them to the nth degree. He was zealous for Jewish law and religious observance. He was climbing the leadership ladder within Judaism. But then people started converting to Christianity. And Paul, because he was so zealous, he decided that he was going to deal with this. And the way that he was going to deal with this was to not so gently deal with them. He was involved and oversaw the beating and imprisonment and killing of Christians. This is what he was about. This was his livelihood. He was going to destroy any semblance of the church. This was what he was all about until one day as he's going on the road, going to destroy other Christians, and God displayed himself as affectionately desirous towards Paul. This is what God has done to Paul. He invaded his life. He revealed himself to Paul. He extended grace to him. And so what Paul is doing to the Thessalonians, the way he is approaching them, is no different than the way that God has pursued him. It's an extension of what God has already done in his life and in his heart. And throughout the rest of Paul's life, after God grabbed hold of his heart, throughout many horrific circumstances, Paul was committed to the preaching of the gospel and to the planting of gospel churches. His life was all about advancing the gospel. And the root of Paul's affection and desire to do these things was God ravaging his heart with his grace. God's grace, in essence, the gospel, is what motivated Paul to share the gospel with others. And so what we find is God's desirous love is multiplied through the life of Paul. The gospel is what empowered Paul on this journey, and it is what will empower us as well. Now, this affection and desire that Paul felt within him led him to share two things with the Thessalonians. It led him to share the gospel, and it led him to share his self. So, Paul knew that the gospel was the word of salvation. So, the gospel is a message, okay? It's a message that needs to be proclaimed, communicated. People need to hear the gospel. He wrote elsewhere in the book of Romans that faith comes through hearing. There's this really weird thing that happens when the gospel is communicated verbally. God somehow, some way works through that. And it doesn't even matter how eloquent it is. I'm living proof of that. Like, I'm not this dynamic communicator. Okay? And yet, God still works somehow, some way 
through my life. And, and this is what he promises to do to anyone who submits in this way. God will somehow, some way, mysteriously work through our proclamation of the gospel to others. So Paul is adamant that he needs to communicate the gospel to Thessalonica through verbal means. This has to happen. This is necessary for the, for the gospel to advance. But, but Paul doesn't just stop there. Okay? He doesn't just stop with proclaiming it with his words. He moves on from there by seeking to communicate the gospel through the sharing of his life. Through the sharing of his life. Now, last week, I talked about our core value of community. And I made this strong call. We as a church, we as a people, need to live in community with one another. This is what Jesus has created, and we're called to live our lives together as his church. Okay, now this week I'm talking about mission, and I'm going to make an even stronger call as we go through this to to call us all to mission. And, And some of you might hear this, and you might just feel really discouraged from these Two, two sermons. You, you might be like, so you're telling me to engage in community and, and now to share my life with non-Christians. And, and your question might be, when do I have time for this? Like, I've got a, a job, I've got family, I've got friends, I've got hobbies. When do I have time to do these other things? And this is a really important point. I, I can't stress this enough. The Christian faith, living in community, living on mission, this isn't merely what we do, okay? These are not just activities that we engage in. So, so like we find a time on our calendar and we say, all right, uh, at Thursday on six, at 6 p.m., like I'm gonna, I'm gonna live on mission for those four hours, okay? That, that's not what this is communicating. That's not what the Bible communicates at all it's who we are this is who we are god shapes and forms us we're called into community we're sent on mission so the idea is wherever you go whatever you're doing you're on mission for jesus when you go to work you're on mission for jesus when you go to the grocery store you're on mission for Jesus. When you go to your kids' sporting events, you're on mission for Jesus. When you're in your home, you are on mission for Jesus. There's no boundaries here. It's a whole life reality. This is the natural result of gospel belief. The gospel doesn't call us to, to kind of be organized and have all these compartments of our lives, we become a gospel person. Now, there was a time earlier in my life when I, I would go out and I would, I would tell people about Jesus, like on the street, at parks, in the malls, like, and, I, and I would do all kinds of different things. So basically street evangelism, okay? And, and I remember going to the lake down in Minneapolis and a buddy and I, we bought a bunch of water and it's Saturday morning we're handing out water to people and I remember doing this before Vikings games we go and we talk to people and like so I've I've been in that environment okay 
there are hard parts about that. There's value in doing that kind of thing. There are hard parts. There are awkward, uncomfortable parts of doing that. But I would say, however much that terrifies you, thinking about doing that yourself, what Paul is calling us to here is much harder. Because the reality is, I could go and do that for three hours, and then I'm done. I check the box, I'm good for a month. I'm thinking, ha, most Christians don't do this, right? So I, I've like fulfilled my quota for a month or two, so then I, I can go back and do that again. What Paul is calling us to, what the gospel shapes in us, is a whole life reality. Sharing your life, your time, for all of your time, sharing that with others, that, that it's not just about you. And this includes vacation. Like you begin to think in terms of how are you going to spend your vacations? W- would you take vacation time and go on a mission trip? Would you do that kind of a thing? Or just the idea like, all right, I'm, I'm done with normal life right now, so I'm going to take a hiatus from that. I'm going to go on vacation. This, this means you don't, you don't go on vacation for mission. You don't leave that. You don't tap out at any point. Sharing your life means sharing your money, right? It, it's going to mean sharing meals with other people. It's going to mean sharing your hobbies. It's going to mean sharing skills. Like, like if you've got skills or knowledge that you're like, I really don't want people to know I, I know how to do this thing, right? But uh, how selfish is that? Like, this is Jesus' church. He calls us to use the gifts that he has given to us, the skills that we have to build up his church, to encourage them, and to pursue those who are outside the Christian faith. This sharing of life calls us to share our toys. Kids, you got toys, you got things that you value. It calls, this, this calls us to share those things. Like I have to remind my kids every time we have kids over to our house, which feels like every day that we have kids coming over our house, like, like share your best things with your friends. Like we want to we serve them and love them. We want to convey grace to them. And, and for adults, treasures, right? What are your treasures? What are those things that you don't want anyone to touch, to scratch, to mess with, right? Sharing your life means sharing all of it. Sharing your thoughts and beliefs. But, like, there are times when we're in community or we are talking with a non-Christian where we need to share our thoughts and our beliefs. Someone needs to hear it. They, they want to know where you stand on this. They, they want to know your answer to this thing. This is hard. This is hard. But this is also what Jesus empowers us to do. So it's not as though Jesus is like, okay, this is hard. Go do it, and kicks us in the butt and sends us out the door, right? Like that's, he empowers us for this. He provides what we need in the midst of sharing our whole life. There's this quote, actually it's a number of quotes that I came across this past week. Last week I quoted from a book called Total Church from uh, two authors, uh, Tim Chester and Steve Timmis. 
and I've got a couple of quotes that I'm going to read here this morning as well. But they say, evangelism is not an activity to be squeezed into our busy schedules. It becomes an intention that we carry with us throughout our day. The bedrock of gospel ministry is low-key, ordinary, day-to-day work that often goes unseen. Most gospel ministry involves ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. Whether it is helping a friend, working at the office, or going to the movies, there is a commitment to building relationships, modeling the Christian faith, and talking about the gospel as a natural part of conversation. Gospel intentionality in everything that we do. That's, that's the call. So that the gospel can just naturally start to inform the everyday, ordinary parts of our lives. And, and this will push us, right? So, so we talk about gospel-centeredness here at Center Church. This is why. We need to see our lives revolving around the gospel. Everything that we are and do. It needs to be informed by this. So, so this is going to press us. Like, do we live our lives centered around the gospel? Do we do that? Is the gospel actually primary to us? Or is it primary at times when it's convenient for it to be primary for us? The gospel call is that it would be primary all of the time. Now the tendency is to think that we, we probably need like a system or a program to do this, right? And, and there's, there's good things out there, but if I could encourage you guys in this, here's what I, I would suggest, and, and I think this is the most important thing. When you think about living life on mission, this is the most important thing. Know Jesus. Know who he is. Not, not just know facts about Jesus, though, though that's important as well, but to know him. Like to let the gospel sink deep into your heart. We need to first and foremost know Jesus. There has to be this relationship with him. And then as we know Jesus, we need to learn to relate his teachings to life. The gospel cannot be meaningful to us unless we understand how it speaks to our everyday lives. So Jesus means to inform our everyday lives, the relationships that we have, how we parent, the work that we do, the money that we have, our views on sex, and and everything else. Like, Jesus wants to inform all of that. And this is true for people who don't know Jesus as well. They want to know, like, if, if you believe this, why is this meaningful more than just an hour, an hour and a half on Sunday morning? We need to be able to convey Jesus' teachings in a language that is meaningful and understandable to those that we are talking to. Let me say that again. We need to be able to convey Jesus' teachings in a language that is meaningful 
and understandable to those that we are talking to. This is how the gospel will carry weight in someone else's life. Knowing people. So we've got to know Jesus, but, but then we have to know people as well. We, we need to understand their context. What is it that really drives them? What do they care about? What do they care too much about so that we can speak in ways that the gospel can land with weightiness? Relationship is necessary. Sharing all of life is necessary. So, so we should live in such a way that any explanation that we give for how and why we live can't help but include us talking about Jesus. Every part of our lives should be marked by the gospel. A and so whenever we explain something about ourselves, in some sense we should be able to get back to the gospel. This is how Jesus has informed this. Now I, I know that that can get really weird, right? Like we can try too hard with that as well, but there's this reality that Jesus wants to inform every part of life. And, and there's this pinch for us again. Is Jesus this central? Is he that central to your life? Do you know him? Or, or do you just know some facts about Jesus? Do you really know him? Do you trust him day in and day out? Do you depend upon him? And do you understand his teachings in a way that you can relate them to life so that you can help other people engage with the faith in a way that's meaningful to them. And here's the thing. In order to be able to do this, you will fail. You, you have to fail to learn what doesn't work and what I should not have said. So uh, what I want to do is I want to answer the question, what might it look like to share the gospel in our lives? Okay? In sharing our life, what might that look like? And, and what I want to do is I want to give you an opera, or share with you uh, a missed opportunity that I had this week, okay? So I, I'm not saying, hey, look at me, do it just like me. I'm saying, hey, this is something that I've learned from this past week, okay? So I have a neighbor who blows the snow out of like six to eight driveways on our street, okay? He, he just, he's a beast with this, like, and he is, like, has so many friends because of it. Um, he's at a point in life where he's getting a little older, uh, and it's wearing him down. He also has a wife who, uh, her health is failing. Um, and I was out shoveling one of the 39 times this past week, and, and uh, Casey, she yelled out the window. She's like, ah, oh, Dave called you on the phone, and, and so... I, after I finished doing my driveway, I, so the thing is like with my driveway, uh, so I've got this trailer, right? The church trailer that I park in my driveway. So I'm like super anal about my driveway. Like that's why I, I'm probably not lying when I say 39 times because I, I, I can't imagine getting to the point on Sunday uh, at the end of a Sunday morning and like it's just ice on my driveway. And how am I going to get that thing up, right? And all my neighbors, they're like, <laughs> like they get free entertainment watching out their window, right? Uh, so, like, I just never want to be in that spot. So I'm just out there constantly. But he, I, wa I walked down to him as he was uh, doing all these driveways. And 
just asked him what he was calling about. Um, and, and we got into chatting a little bit more, and he was telling me about all of the, just like the ails of all the snow. And he was telling me how he's exhausted and, and just worn down. Um, and and I, I had a really busy week this week, and so in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I want to make this short. I've, I've got to get back to working on these things that I, I need to do. A- and what was going on there is I was not living with gospel intentionality. I was not focused on sharing my life with Dave. But if I had been, and I wish I would have been, and if things continue this way, I'll, ha- I'll have some opportunities here in the next week to, to follow up with Dave. But if I had been thinking um, about sharing my life and living with gospel intentionality, I, I, I would have said, tell me a little bit about why you're so exhausted. Share with me what's going on with this fatigue that you're dealing with. A- and just let him talk for a little bit and listen. And, and then ask, is there any way that I could help with that. And, and then at some point in the conversation to just share with him, Dave, there's times when I feel overworked. I feel burdened, but I found that it's possible to find rest even in the midst of these times when I am really worn out as well. A- and just ask him if I could share more with him about what that means. And, and then I'm, I'm into Jesus and, and I'm talking about the way in which Jesus cares for me the way in which Jesus is sufficient, how uh, when I feel burdened that Jesus can take that from me. And this isn't me needing to just like believe this and and beat him over the head with my Bible. I I don't have to do that. I get to share who Jesus is to me, the way in which uh, the gospel is meaningful in my life. And there are tons of opportunities to be able to do this. Like you could give a gift to somebody, right? An unexpected, undeserved gift to somebody. And, and just talk about how you've been given many undeserved gifts in your own life. And, and that just segues into the gospel to talk about grace, the greatest gift you've been given. Or, or celebrate. Like, throw a party and invite people to a party. And, and you can share with them why and how you've been given many reasons in your life to throw a party. Host a meal, because food is good, life is good, and God is the giver of all good gifts. And, and I don't know, I'm, I'm guessing every one of us is in different spots on this, right? Some of us are terrified, some of us are kind of wading into the kitty end of the pool, some of us maybe are, have been doing this for some time. My encouragement to us is that we would continue to take steps. We would learn to believe the gospel in this way. I was even, I was talking with Levi this morning, okay? And this was so encouraging for me because I was um, preaching on this today. But he was telling me about, that uh, he and Bethany had some friends over last night. And they they were talking about parenting. And he was able to share, or they were, more so his wife, let's be honest here, is that his wife, Bethany, was able to share how with them through parenting to share the gospel with them. And, and this is just a great 
example of how we can use everyday realities to convey the gospel to people. And, and they said it wasn't awkward at all. It just naturally flowed as part of the conversation. And so I just want to encourage you guys. It, it takes thought. It takes intention. But this is what Jesus calls us to in the sharing of our lives. I also just want to mention this thing regarding mission. Mission should be done in community. I, I think probably some of us are terrified because we feel like we'd be on an island. And like I, I don't know how I'd answer this question if it was asked or whatever. Mission should be done in community. You even think about the fact that Paul is writing this letter with others okay so they're a community there Th they went as a community to live on mission in Thessalonica as well but we should be living on mission in community w we should invite our friends over and invite non-christian friends over a and we should all drink good drink and eat good food together Timis and Chester write this in their book, Total Church. Christian community is a vital part of Christian mission. Mission takes place as people see our love for one another. The life of the Christian community is part of the way by which the gospel is communicated. We need to be communities of love, and we need to be seen by non-Christians to be communities of love of love. People need to encounter the church as a network of relationships rather than a meeting you attend or a place you enter. We need to introduce people to the network of relationships that make up that believing community so they can see Christian community in action. In our experience, people are often attracted to the Christian community before they are tra attracted to the Christian message. So let our relationships provoke questions. Let the ways in which we love one another provoke questions in our non-Christian friends. Let them see that we laugh at funny jokes just like they do. That, that we enjoy a good beer just like they do. Christian mission should be done in community. Okay, so let me close here with two points of gospel application. First of all, do you know the extent of Jesus' affectionate desire for you? Do you know how much he loves you? Because this is the engine that drives mission. We can talk about mission all day long. But at the end of the day, this is what this is where we need to go back to. I, if you find yourself not living on mission, this is where you need to start. It's not white-knuckling, okay, I got to do these things because the pastor said. This is where you need, go, need to go back to. This is ground zero for mission. You must understand Jesus' affectionate desire for you. That it is scandalous, okay? That his love for you is excessive. I mean, you have to go back to the cross, right? Look at this man, bloodied and beaten, hanging on a cross, dying. There must be something significant about him doing that. His love for you is lavish. That's what it's saying. 
His affection and desire for you is excessive. We cannot show affection for others greater than what we understand Jesus' affection for us. So, so you're never going to outpunt the punter, right? You're, you're never going to be able to do more, to love more than Jesus has loved you. So the way in which we increase our capacity for mission is understanding Jesus' love for us. And, and maybe just a way to diagnosis, diagnosis for us. D- do you have affection for others? Do you pray that others would come to know Jesus? Do you pray for other people that they would learn about who Jesus is and what he's done? I- if not, it may be that you don't really know what Jesus thinks about you. And so, first and foremost, we have to understand Jesus' affectionate desire for us. Secondly, your joy depends on you joining Jesus' mission. There is a tendency in these kinds of conversations that what you hear is shame and that the pastor's beating me up, okay? That is the furthest thing from what I am wanting to do in this. Not at all. That's not on my radar at all. The only reason that's on my radar is because I want to make sure I'm not doing that to you. But there is this reality that your joy depends on you joining Jesus' mission in the way that he has called you to. Because if you don't, it's disobedience. And you're you're always going to have this guilt that's hanging over you. It'll always be there. And then especially when the pastor talks about mission on a Sunday, and you're going to be like, shoot, I should be doing this. I'm scared to do this. I want to do this, but I'm never going to do it because I don't know what to say, and I don't know how to do it. And and then you just get all bent out of shape, right? So there's this reality. By me trying to place this before you, I'm trying to understand that this is normal Christian living. This is what Jesus calls us to. And if we don't engage in this way, what's going to happen is that this is always going to be here in the background. There's always going to be this status. We're always going to feel that guilt. And then there's this reality. When we talk to others about Jesus, there's three opportunities or three ways in which they can respond, okay? Maybe there's more, but I I boiled it down to three. First of all, uh, they're kind of neutral, okay? They don't accept, they don't reject, right? So we just end up planting a seed, okay? And that's a great thing, okay? They've heard some semblance of the gospel. We can pray for them. They can think about it. God works through the proclaiming of his word. So that's a good thing. They can accept the good news of Jesus, right? And then celebration can erupt in heaven. Like they entrusted themselves to Jesus. That's a great thing. So those are two. Plant the seed. They can accept it. The third one is the one that keeps all of us at bay. They could reject it, right? And what what we oftentimes think is re- they're rejecting me. And this scares us, right? 1 Peter 4.14 says, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. And then Luke 6.22 and 23, uh, just a paraphrase, it says there, Rejoice when you are reviled and rejected because of Jesus' name. So what Jesus says is when you are rejected, because of Jesus' name, that you should rejoice. 
So the ultimate end of any of these options, whether we plant a seed, someone accepts the gospel, or they reject it, they all end in joy for us. 100% off, right? Like, it doesn't get any better than that. I, it's a win-win situation. And so, I just want to encourage you guys. Th- this is what Jesus calls us to. This is what Jesus has done for us. This is what he calls us to. And we're going to be exploring some ways. What might it look like uh, to do some training? What might it look like for us to be able to learn from one another in this, to have this conversation? And so there's some of those conversations going on in the background uh, at this point. If you are someone who finds yourself in a spot where you're like, I want to, but I'm scared, or I don't want to, uh, or I want to, or I, I just feel like I can't do that, would you, would you just, like, let me or an overseer, Michael, or someone know, would you engage in a conversation in that? Because it, we're not, we're not going to beat you up. We're not going to giggle at you. We're not going to shame you. We want to help equip you for the work of the ministry. And so let's, let's start a conversation, and let's just banter about this, and let's see how we as a community can grow together in this. Let's pray.